and welcome to El Governor, El Governor, the podcast. As always, I am Abdullah, and my guest today is Ryan Andes. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, Abdullah, I'm doing well, man. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh man, finally we gotta we <laughs> finally the the planet the planets aligned, and we can it finally did. do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the universe made it so it it made it so we could be here together today, and it's a lovely thing. So first question is the obvious one, but how did you get started? Wow, yeah. So I don't really, that's always a tough one for me because I'm not sure whether I should start at like the beginning beginning or if I should just start like with my beginning. So I'm going to do the the like medium version, which includes the beginning beginning, but focuses on the other my beginning as well, because I think both are worth mentioning. And so at the very beginning beginning, um, I, I was not, I did, I wasn't here yet. I was not born. Uh, my grandfather, uh, his name is Keith Andes was a Broadway s- sort of star who then moved to Hollywood and kind of made a name for himself doing movies, uh, in the fifties, sixties and seventies. And, uh, he had a very rich resonant voice. He was known for his singing baritone. He had a a beautiful voice, in fact, and he trained it uh, a lot. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, eventually Grandpa became a voiceover guy. And, um, you know, he did, he was the original voice of Birdman on the uh, the old Hanna-Barbera cartoon. He was the, the commercial voice of Honda uh, for years. He was like their spokesman. Um, and then he just did a ton of other stuff. And he was still doing TV and, uh, and other movies at the time. So in a way, that is kind of how I began, Um, because thanks to grandpa's vocal DNA, (laughs) literally, uh, he bequeathed unto me this glorious instrument that you are, that is now gracing your ears. Uh, And, you know, I I knew early on when I was like growing up, I I got into singing and, knew that I had something sort of special, but it, it wasn't really obvious until I got into college. And, um, and that's actually when I started really focusing on my voice. And, and grandpa was there to kind of encourage me. Um, when I was in college, I, I did study theater, um, kind of to follow in his footsteps a bit, but I, I found opera. Um, and so opera became kind of part of my story in a big way. And I ended up getting a degree in classical music as a, as a, a trained bass baritone um mostly just a bass actually bass baritone is more like a musical theater thing but you know i was a operatic bass uh and thought that's what i was gonna do you know i I like left college and went to rome to sing in an opera uh and when i came back to the states about a year later uh, i moved directly to new york and um upon moving to new york the dream of opera very quickly died (laughs) Um, but that's actually where like voiceover kind of took place. Um, I had sort of messed with it a little bit in college doing like radio stuff, but it was, it was the, um, the attraction to using my voice, uh, as an actor that really kind of sparked my fire as it were. And I took some classes with some really shady people in those early days. We're talking like, I think 2005 is when I moved to New York city. And uh, one of the guys, his name was Chuck McKibben. He lived out in Long Island. And I, 
uh, I like found him on like a like a like the what was it um, the breakdown listings. You know, he had like a little ad for like want to do voiceover, and he was like an animation guy apparently. So I remember taking the train all the way out to Long Island. Um, oh, that is such a faux pas. My phone just dinged. I'm so sorry. I'll take that over. So I took the train out to Long Island and did these classes with Chuck, and it was just awful, which then eventually led me to realizing that I was like kind of being had and found another kind of hack teacher, a guy named Stuart Dillon, who if anybody's been around long enough will recognize that name because Stuart Dillon was the guy who had uh, a like a voiceover CD or it was a DVD class. That he offered, and it was always playing at the drama bookshop in New York City. <laughs> you like walk in, it had like a little stand, and there was Stuart Dillon. Do you want to learn about voiceover? Well, you should come and take my class. You know, <laughs> this old school announcer voice, you know. Um, and that was a failure for me. <laughs> I, I did my demo with Stuart back in like 2007, I think. And, uh, I I took the demo to Catherine Ryan, who is an agent at Buckwald. And she was like, this is literally what she was like. She goes, this is garbage. (laughs) I'll never, I'll never use this. You need to get a better demo. (laughs) So, so, you know, I uh, crashed and burned my first few tries. Um, But all of those failures led me to uh, a really great woman named Dorianne Elliott. Uh, who is also a casting director, but uh, a fantastic voiceover coach who still actually is teaching these days and has a, a wonderful uh, influence on the voiceover world and has very successful um, students. I guess you could say myself included. Uh, and she is the one who kind of took me under her wing and finally produced, helped me produce a demo that was uh, worthy. And that eventually led me to my first agent, uh, who was uh, Genevieve Brewer at about face in 2007 so long story turned very long and there you have it there's my origin tale in a nutshell it's so crazy because like where do i even begin with this because like (laughs) you were first of all like your your grandfather was Birdman. that that alone is like what (laughs) yeah no, I know that blows that blows a lot of people away. And you know what's funny is that nobody would have known about Birdman had had Adult Swim or Cartoon Network really like rebooted the whole Birdman thing. And then he kind of like came back into the cartoon culture. But before that, he was just kind of this corny, <laughs> you know, old cartoon guy, Birdman. You know, like Grandpa bellowing into the into the, you know, the wild blue yonder. Um, but, you know, I go back and I listen to him and I'm like, man, you know, he was great. He was an actor. I mean, you know, that was, he was doing his thing and he made, he carved out a little, little cartoon name for himself. It's cool. It's so weird. If you're a fan of like Harvey Birdman, like going back and watching like the original cartoons feels so weird because it's like, <laughs> that's not Gary Chalk. <laughs> not not right. Gary Chalk, uh, Gary Gold. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, right. And I don't even think he tried to emulate Grandpa's voice, right? Like, I think he just kind of had his own take on it. Maybe there was like a slight influence there, but the original is very different than the reboot, you know. Um, but it's still, you know. Still holds up. I mean, your grandfather was Birdman. You tried to get into opera, of all things, which is like, okay. (laughs) 
I know. Yeah. 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 That was a weird one. I mean, I actually really loved it and I, I was good at it. I, I felt like I had something really great to offer opera. In fact, I have a bass clef tattooed on my arm because back then I was like, man, oh man, that's, that's it for me. I'm going to sing opera. And I, uh, I really, I really wanted that, I think for a long time. Um, and until I realized how, how terrible, not terrible. I shouldn't say the world is terrible. Uh, the world of opera, I mean, but it, it kind of was, I, I like discovered how, like, I don't know. It just, it was a very competitive, somewhat petty and, um, uncomfortable world. It was, it just didn't fit with me. And once I realized that I decided, you know, I, I, I really wanted to be an actor. Like that was the bottom line. And I thought like, Oh, I'll bring my acting talent to opera and I'll re I'll revolutionize it. I'll make it something cool and new. And, you know, and like that wasn't going to happen. I, and I still love to sing and I love, luckily I was able to book a, you know, a, a Broadway show and I, I was able to continue singing in musical theater. So like I got to use that skill, um, but not like what I trained to do. Um, but it's still relevant again, like, that, that stuff never goes away, right? You, once you learn how to do a thing like sing, you know, it, that translates to so many other things vocally, even being a voice actor, you know? And then, you know, going from that to, you know, your demo story, like people don't believe me whenever I say like, there are tons of people who almost killed their careers by submitting a bad demo. Dude, like they oh don't believe God. me. They're like, "Oh, that never happens." No, it does a lot. <laughs> I, I, Abdullah, I kept so I, I'm like, I'm having like a moment here because I kept that original demo because just to remind myself, all these years later, like how how truly horrible it was, and I'm I'm just such you know, looking back through the lens of history and it, to like all of those, it's almost, you know, almost 20 years now since I started. And since I cut that absolute piece of garbage and realize like just how far I've come and how much I've grown and, and how much I thought I knew then compared to what I actually know now. Um, and, and you're right. If I, you know, if I had been like, you know what, this is the thing. Like, I am actually grateful that Catherine Ryan, ch like, chopped me down so hard. Because if I had been like, I'm it. This is it. I'm going for it. And tried to get, like, a legitimate start with that demo, you're absolutely right. Like, my, my career would have come crashing down. Yeah, because, like, it's it's so important to understand that, like, a demo isn't just, like, a isn't just let me let me do a bunch of voices in like x amount of minutes it's like you kind of it's 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 the whole okay this is what i'm capable of and this is why you right. should hire me right right yes so that you are spot on and that is pretty much what Catherine ryan told me and she you know and, and in in you know not maybe not so many words but basically she was saying that like my range was limited that I sounded very green, that you, she could tell that I needed to up my game and my training. And, you know, that was all apparent in like a minute and a half of demo. Um, and, and so like, you're right, like that, 
that one minute clip of various spots or whatever the demo is, it has to really nail it because that's all you get for a lot of, a lot of this. And that's your, it's your entry point. That's what people are going to judge you on. And if it's not cooking, man, uh, you are very much blowing your chances. And now it's even more competitive because nowadays casting directors are just going to listen to like five seconds of it. And then, you know, that's right. <laughs> discard it absolutely true it's so true and it's changed a little bit but not much i think you're right like you really have to you have to catch them right away and and it's so hard to you know it's so hard to tell i think young voiceover people like what what that is but time and time again as i've gone deeper and deeper into this career and and studied with other mentors and and teachers of this craft you know the thing that always comes back the main touchstone to all of this is authenticity a thousand percent and that's actually a lot harder than it sounds (laughs) because you want to you you want to show your most honest truthful most distilled self um within a very short amount of time and and let them know that you're being honest and authentic. Sometimes that's, I mean, I just find that that can be the hardest thing ever. Oh, especially nowadays when everyone's trying to put on a facade. Yeah, right, right. That's exactly right. You know, I don't, I don't book jobs. I do have a, I have a big voice and I, and I have a low voice and I've got a rich voice. You know, I, I can easily, you know, put it on, right? Hey, you guys want to buy my $5 thing? Well, please. Come on down, right? Like that, that is with, within my abilities, but I never use that anymore. In fact, I, I only use it if it's very specifically asked for. Most of the stuff that I submit for auditions now is basically what you're getting right now. It's just me talking and putting on is immediately a flag of disingenuity or contrivance uh, it, it doesn't sound real. And so, and that's not what sells anymore. People want what's real. Um, and that's, that's hard <laughs> putting that into a microphone, focusing it into a tiny point, uh, audibly can be uh, a big challenge. Oh, no, absolutely. Like people need to understand that, you know, if you want to get hired, you have to be like one, you know, people want to have to work with you. And two, yeah, you have to be time. authentic because if you're not authentic, then it's like, yeah, we can see through your, through your, through your crap. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to yep. hire you if, if we can see that you're just like putting on a, putting on a persona or whatever, or acting yes. a certain way or cause people yeah. talk. Let me tell you, people talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, dude. No, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think to, um, to put a finer point on that, it's, it's worth saying that authenticity comes in many forms, right? Like we, as voice actors, we have very, we have very many shades to our, to what we can present. And, and this is actually, you know, I, I, um, I just took a great class with Kathy Kalmanson, who is a renowned, uh, LA casting director for commercials. Uh, she's married to Harvey Kalmanson, who this is wild, by the way, I have to tell this tale. And it's very quick because holy crap, it's worth telling. Um, so I, I didn't know this when I signed up for this class. Uh, and what she offers is, is a working prose class. It's for 
it's for industry folk who have been doing voiceover for many, many years and are you know professionals um which changes things as in like the, the the way she teaches is different so i was interested in this and um while we're in the class harvey the, her husband um finds out about my grandfather and he calls me one day not in class uh to tell me ready for this that he knew my grandpa not only knew him he directed him in his booth multiple times they were freaking friends dude <laughs> and uh and he told me some very interesting stories like <laughs> they used to like razz each other and i guess harvey would kind of like poke fun because grandpa was like this incredibly beautiful man I, you know if hey, whoever's listening if you really want to like i don't know this do yourself maybe a favor i don't know check out grandpa he's he's worth looking at uh, trust me keith andy's anyway he would say something to keith like hey before you go you want to give me a kiss on the lips and grandpa would be like you could only be so lucky <laughs> harvey and they would have a laugh and joke about women you know just how they did back in the 50s you know whatever or whatever or whenever it was anyway what was i going what was i saying oh Kathy, right. Um, so the point of this is that her class, what she was teaching uh, was basically this. It was it was an acting class, really, uh, for commercial voiceover. And all it was was I mean, it was the simplest thing. It was, you know, how do you tell how do you tell um, a story through your own lens? Right. Like it's all you're doing is using your personal experience to to shade or color the the thing you're saying. And that's, that's like her technique. <laughs> that's like, I mean, there's more to it, but like, that's the bottom line. Um, and that kind of, I think, reinforces this idea of authenticity, but with all this added stuff on top of it. When they say the voiceover world is small, they, they freaking mean it. Cause <laughs> I do it. I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. I like, he called me and I was like, why is I'm, like his assistant got, uh, yeah, you've got a, a call from, uh, from Harvey Kalman's. I'm like, Har why is Harvey Kalmanson calling me? And he goes on, hey, Ryan, uh, so uh, you, are you okay me, me telling you stories about your grandpa? Yeah, I mean, you know, he uh, he really blew my mind, man. It was wild. You're right, small world. And, you know, it's funny, I think what's so interesting, too, is that, you know, you don't know, I didn't know grandpa in that way. And hearing about him through the lens of Harvey Kalmanson kind of informed me about, how, like, how big he was like he was kind of a big deal back in the day harvey was saying like yeah your grandpa had a, you know the pick of every woman in the city i'm like what what <laughs> grandpa was a player dude he was like hanging out with starlets i mean he did have you know he was friends with marilyn monroe and whatnot it was just nuts so i don't know it, it definitely was a bit of an eye-opener Okay, before we move on from Keith uh, Andes, I, I just want to mention that um, if you're just listening to this podcast, uh, do yourself a favor and just Google Keith Andes. The first image will that will pop up is a shirtless picture of him. So there oh, you go. Dear. Yeah, I mean, not, I'd say like half of Grandpa's movies, he was shirtless. I mean, th the guy was like this incredible male specimen. I mean, he, like you can't, you look at Keith and you're like, oh, I, I'll never be like that. Like, I'll, I'll never... I'll never live up to that man. Uh, so that's the shadow I'm in right now. I'm this, you know, I'm six foot four, but I'm like, you know, I feel like this shriveled little dwarf uh, compared to the, the God that grandpa once was, you know what I mean? 
Okay, uh, now that we're done with all the voiceover talk, uh, how did you get into Transformers? Oh, man. Oh, man. God, that was... I just want to start by saying that that experience doing Transformers is still remains one of my favorite jobs that I've ever done as a voice actor. And a lot of that has to do with Randolph Hurd, uh, who was the, the main writer and, um, and, and showrunner creator, I guess you would call him. Um, and, oh my God, I'm, God, I'm drawing blanks on everyone else's names. Gavin, um, oh man, uh, he's gonna kill me. Uh, insert name here, kind of thing. Gavin and and Cat. Point is, they were just like the loveliest people, and they were they were fans of the show. And I was a fan, you know. I grew up watching Transformers and loving Grimlock, and you know, my my actually my favorite was Soundwave because I loved all the little cassette tape you know, to Transformers, I had like all of the little buddies. Um, and I would play with them with my, my best friend, Carl, like we just, like, in, we just loved the world. And, and so, you know, being able, getting an opportunity to step into not only Grimlock, but then also the to, to voice Shockwave, it was just like this, this mega dream come true. Um, and that was all because of Jen Suckup, uh, who runs, uh, she's a casting director who runs, uh, her own studio as a, as a coach called shut up and talk. Uh, and if anybody's interested, uh, they've run it out of New York city and she's just fantastic. And she was the reason that I, I got the job. She brought me in. And did you audition for any other characters or was that, were those two the only ones? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the, uh, the, the audition process was involved uh we went through i think I, I remember coming into the studio and auditioning for randolph multiple times even before he came to the east coast because he was in la um and i think i do remember auditioning for i think i read for megatron and they had already figured out who they wanted for optimus prime but i was bummed because i i actually felt like i probably had a pretty good prime um and I, I honestly, at this point, I don't remember who else, but it was pretty, it was pretty obvious early on that they wanted me for, for Grimlock. And then Randolph, I think it was his idea to have me read for Shockwave uh, because he liked the, the like richness and the fullness of my like lower voice. And he just asked if I would be, you know, if I could shift into like an evil character and, um, and I could, and I did. And it, uh, it, it worked out really well, man. It was, it was so much fun yeah i gotta say like your shockwave is just so good like <laughs> i mean Thanks. I, I think the biggest regret of that show is that he did not last as long as he should have because man totally. was he great oh i know i was i was so bummed when they basically just killed him off <laughs> you know? and i think he had to die because he was like the arch villain next i mean you know megatron gets redeemed and all that um and shockwave is just like the the most obvious like evil guy and he he really is like i think of the show the most pure evil like the the most detached logical evil which to my mind is also the most scary evil um and i think that that actually that portrayal of him made the show a bit more real and i was really grateful that they didn't want to go 
super cartoony and that they were willing to like let let me go like to that dark place with shockwave which i think it needed oh yeah because like you needed an intimidating villain because it's like yeah these guys are you know again the decepticons in this version they're not good people they're probably yeah. like very vile in this yeah no yeah they're gross yeah, absolutely yeah they're, they're like they're hateful robot slime um and so and like what i and i do love that they that randolph and the writers they made they they like really kind of made them gross in in a relatable way um like the the bad guys tended to be like more selfish and out for number one you know like you know um uh slipstream uh, no uh, star star scream um you know totally usurps and becomes another really hateful bad guy um and it's great you know like you you start you it, and it, in a way it almost makes you start rooting for the bad guys which i which in my mind is the marker of a great bad guy you know also like how how uh, how fun was it to just um you know just to not only go you know full on evil as shockwave but to to play a version of grimlock who was also not only totally. like smart but also you know i, I don't want to say dumb but more beastly when he becomes yeah. you know right he goes right full t-rex like, totally right like so, right sort of you know mindless dino creature which is what i remembered from you know the the og uh uh transformers and and that's when i came in to do the auditions i like that's what i was channeling i, I remember very much like listen rem- like hearing old grimlock in my mind and being like this is you know this this is the guy uh it was randolph who really wanted to create that that sort of dichotomy between bot grim and dino grim and you know turn him into kind of like um you know like beast <laughs> from x-men who was this uh smooth gregarious boisterous almost like a he had like a three musketeer kind of vibe, you know. Yes, my friends. Ah, oh, please make sure you get yourself a nice full cup of energon. Oh, you know, that kind of thing, which I, which I just feel like is like another shade of me. You know, it's in there. So it's very much in there. I, and I also love his um real friendship with RC. I'm just like you know, totally. I, I kind of wish they got more episodes together because they, they that dynamic was just so much fun. Oh man, I I'll be honest, like that's those are some of my favorite episodes, hands down. And and Jamie Lamchick is so great as as RC. And she and I actually like are buddies outside of the show and um man, she, yes, I, I like totally agree like the the like the dynamic between the two of them getting into trouble and then having to figure out how to get out of it. Uh kind of covering each other's backs and going on some crazy adventures it just gets me in all the right ways. You know, I like that's the kind of cartoon storytelling that I freaking live for, man. It's so good. Yeah. Uh. I just, I just love their dynamic. And like, as much as I loved the um, Dinobot arc that you guys did towards the end. Yeah. You know, uh, one of my, big, four, yeah. yeah. One of my biggest complaints was that, you know, RC was written off way too early. I'm like, oh, but why, why didn't you could, like, you could have had her like, hang out with the rest of the Dinobots and that would have been great, but no. No, I know. I, I feel you there, dude. She got frozen like like right at the beginning of the episode. And I think I think to like the writer's credit, I think they were really trying to establish 
the Dinobot thing, and it might have been t- tough with RC there. I don't know, but I feel you. I really, I do, and I, I wish you know she and I had more moments together in that that final season. And I still am bummed that it's done. You know, I feel like there was so much more life and more juice to be squeezed out of that that sweet sweet orange. Uh, but say la vie, man. That's how things go. I also love the fact that the way they wrote uh, Shockwave off was really great because, like, <laughs> like, and this actually happens, by the way. So this is not me like making it up for those who have not seen the show, but. Um, you know, basically, like, uh, you know, the, De- the the Decepticons want the AllSpark, and they're right. like, oh, we can't have it. So what do- what is Megatron's plan? He's like, okay, I'm going to corrupt it. How do you corrupt it? By getting the most evil Decepticon ever to off himself yeah. and, you know, yep. have his spark join the AllSpark to corrupt That's right. it. That's like, yeah. that is like the most metal, metal freaking thing I have ever seen. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt about it, dude. And And look. Shockwave knew his job, man. He was like, "All right, you know, if I got us up. If if Megatron <laughs> says it so, then so it is." Uh, and I mean, look, I I I I can't I can't like criticize it at all. Like I I you know I as a from the storytelling perspective, it's fantastic stuff. It's fantastic stuff, and I, I'm I'm glad that that's you know that that is how he ends. I I, I feel like that is a a worthy ending for somebody like shockwave. So it's good stuff, man. And uh, I, I, I do love the fact that they do bring him back a little bit in later as a ghost, as a, as an homage to like old, the old uh, G one episode where um, Starscream's ghost comes back. I oh, that nice. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I do remember that. Yeah. And you know, too, I, you know, one of the things, this is kind of a little bit of a, a segue, but one of the things I loved about the show too, is, is how much they rooted it in in um cyber in cyberverse lore as in you know you there were moments that we got to see these robots like existing together on the planet um before conflict happened like i there was like this one specific moment where bumblebee and shockwave are sitting next to each other watching um I forget the game, like, but what, whatever, there was like a sporting event. And at one point, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And at one point there's like a frame of the two of them high-fiving. Right. And it's like, Oh, 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 these guys just, these guys just existed together. They were just kind of like people, you know, they, they didn't have any problems with each other until, you know, until some, some shit happened. And then they did. But before that, like there, there was just such a great, um, uh, way of of setting us up to believe the world, and in in with those kinds of moments, and I just I just am so grateful to the writers for that because it, it shows how much they thought about it and how how deep they were willing to go and and how much they cared as well, and I think that's really really cool. No, uh, someone made a great point in that, like, what makes Mega this Megatron great is that. Like his version of a United Cybertron could have worked had he had just not been a thug about it. Totally, yeah. He he just doinked it, man. He <laughs> and that's like Megatron's mo. Like we all know that that's how it's gonna happen, right? We do, but you know, there's no good story is without hope, right? Yeah. Um. And uh, you also voiced uh, I forgot the Titan's name, but he was so oh. great. 
Yeah, Iacon Iaconis, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am Iaconis, I am more. Oh, that gets yeah, me. Yeah, that was time. actually that was very cool. That was actually a very like um almost a chilling episode. You know, like I, I, it brought a new dimension um to the universe in a in a very violent dimension as well. I mean, these two monstrosities going at it in such a gnarly way um yeah i i i was it was another a moment for of enlightenment for me uh with with the universe and you know i i go back and i watch you know i still go back and watch these because you know every now and then i'll pull a clip or whatnot and you know use it for some demo or, th- or something and i'm just i'm always surprised at um at the details that i i discover and how much um how much care was taken with it it's really cool man um yeah now i god his origin story is so great it's like you know he was like the ultimate protector but then he's like he had no one else to protect and war was literally the only thing he knew so he just turned on everybody and and it's like we we had no choice but to like subdue him yeah i mean right like he exactly he was he was a threat i mean he had he had to be taken down but man that that battle was just it was it was kind of sad in a way, right? Like kind of to your point, it was um, thrilling, but also there was like some grievance in there in some in some way. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Like like I said, like um, you know, the Quintesson arc is still the best arc that they that they did out of that show, and it, like it shocks me that so many people continue to sleep on this series because man, like. It I like one of my biggest regrets was like not watching the show until recently, and I'm just like, man, I I wish I gave this more love when it was on. I know, I know, and I I almost feel the same way, you know, like it. I feel like it was not something that I took for granted per se, but wished I had given more attention to when it was playing, so that it could be discovered or something. It's not like you know me tweeting about it more is gonna tip the scales or anything but but you're right i think i think there's there are so many things like that that um that don't necessarily get their due um and even like you know cyberverse was quickly overshadowed by uh the next uh iteration um oh, i forget the name of it but uh, the one Spark. that oh yeah yeah right the one that netflix released uh, you no, know, no, the bummer, no, that the uh, War for Cybertron trilogy. No, the War for there, Cybertron, yeah. yeah, that was it. And you know, the bummer there, of course, was that all of us New York voice actors, uh, except for I think one of us, um, Jessica did Giovanni, and I think maybe one other person, uh, was part of that cast. Um, we were all kind of like left behind, and I feel like that was kind of a bummer because we we really felt like we had established ourselves in some way in that there we should like I, I think I remember thinking at the time like I wish I had a chance to just be be heard you know just to just to, you know throw my hat in the ring and um and, and it didn't happen they, they ended up I think more or less casting entirely out of LA um but you know look that's that's the way the the cookie crumbles and you can't win every job and you know I, I, I'm grateful that I, I can, you know, now add my name to the list of iconic voiceover uh, voice actors who have played these roles. Uh, and that, for me, is the best win of them all. Yeah, I think the problem, you know, I mean, I don't want to say problem, but I think that 
like having two uh, Transformers shows like air simultaneously together. I think that kind of confused a lot of people because like yeah, it did. Like because because some people didn't even know Cyberverse was still going by the time like um that's right uh, War for Cybertron uh, kicked off because like they had assumed like oh um. Uh, new shows dropping. I'm guessing you know Cyberverse is done, but it was still going. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, it, it kind of uh, diluted it a bit, I think. And you know, it had a, like a a grittier, more Michael Bay vibe. You know, I think that's what people are used to. It's the the and I look the old heads love the G1, and I think that's why Cyberverse was so appealing because it it very much was meant to appeal to the old uh fans of the show um so, so and and you know again this is kind of like part of fandom it's like every every universe like that has different shades and has fans from different generations and fans of different styles you know our thing was cool it was cool for what it was it wasn't for everybody and and that's okay i'm okay with it i'm I, I lament the, the, the like end of a thing. Um, but that only means that it makes space for the beginning of something else. No, I, and I'll be honest, like, you know, if I, you know, cause I, you know, watched the entire like, um, uh, Netflix trilogy and mm-hmm. I liked parts of it, but you know, go, but like now that I've seen like Cyberverse from beginning to end, I'm like, man, you know, Cyberverse was a lot better, honestly. <laughs> I think <laughs> so too. I think so too. And it was mainly because there was so much care. There was so much passion put into it. And I, I, again, that comes from Randolph, man. Randolph Hurd was the the guy who, who I think injected the series with all of that, that, that one, that wonder of the original series, right? The things that made us love it in the beginning is what he wanted people to feel when they saw this next series. And um, I think that really shined. I think that that's what made it special and and stood out from the rest. Um, and hopefully, you know, as time goes on, people will still find it. You know, if, I think it's still out there. It's I think it's still on YouTube. I remember seeing it not too long ago somewhere out out there. Um, so you know, I'm I'm hopeful that it will withstand the test of time. No, um, you know, Cyberverse is slowly developing like a small fan base. I know, like Travis Arts is like slowly, you know, he's be- he's become like kind of big in the fandom because like a lot of people are discovering his hot rod and they're like, "Hey, we like this guy," and like, "Oh yeah, I shoot. know, <laughs> I know." You know, it's funny, man. I <laughs> I really admire Travis. I, we did a con together, uh, and it's really because of Travis that I was there uh, in in New York. I think this past summer. And actually, uh, it's worth mentioning that he has, he's been very active um, at doing cons and stuff and really kind of like, I think drawing more attention to the series as a result, which I'm, which I'm so grateful for. And I, I, I admire Travis's uh, ability and, and dedication to this. Um, but we are doing another con this summer uh, in New York. I don't remember the name of it. BotCon, I think is the name of it. Um, and it, it's going to be a cool, I'll have to, I'll have to look it up in a minute and f- figure out the exact details. Um, but it's, but it's worth knowing that like Travis is the reason we are, yeah, BotCon, here it is, uh, August in New Jersey, August 25th and 27th. Um, and there's going to be a bunch of Cyberverse voice actors there, 
Uh, Lori Himes, I think, is going to be there. Latonya Phipps. I think Jeremy Levy is going to be part of that. I think Mark Thompson might actually check it out. So uh, there should be a pretty good showing of us Cyberverse folks uh, for anybody who is able to get there. Maybe even you, Abdullah, can make the trip over <laughs> and check it out. I'd love it if you could, man. I would love to, but man, you know, uh, summer, man, like you never know. But with summer, yeah. like plans change constantly, so I can't guarantee it. I would, but I don't know. Well, it's out there. You've got some time to hopefully plan something. And if not, it's all good, brother. You'll be there in spirit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would, like, you know, despite me being a huge Transformers fan, like, like I told Travis when I had him on, like, I have never been to a TF Con or any, any official, like, Transformers convention, but I would love to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's weird. I haven't either. <laughs> I've been to like a few like small things, but I've never been to like a big Transformers thing. And I know they, they just had one in LA. I think Travis was a part of that. And again, like I, I admire him for putting himself out there so much. I, you know, I live upstate now and I, I don't really have the time uh, to do the like real effort in putting in like con work um maybe that will change after this summer we'll see but um but they are they seem like a really great time and i i i feel like i owe it to myself at some point to like check one out just like you i think we both let's make a deal right now abdullah one day we'll see each other at a tf con god i hope so <laughs> all right it's been said it's been, it's put it's it's in stone now bro we've it's been it's been locked and loaded <laughs> <laughs> uh, it might before, take 20 years but yeah. we'll be there one day yeah yeah uh before we like uh wrap this up uh i, yeah. I also want to like talk about your other other stuff that you've done yeah oh, <laughs> you were in uh peter pan live with walking oh my god, oh, my god. <laughs> like what was what was that like i gotta know man oh man i gotta know oh man i haven't talked about this in so long um god that was such that was such a surreal experience. So, you know, I, I just to kind of like recap a bit, I got on my first Broadway show in 2013, um, doing big fish. Uh, I played Carl the giant and it was, it was a life changing experience. You know, I, I'd, I'd spent what, eight years living in New York do, doing independent theater and auditioning for big stuff and singing on whatever I could and just basically getting after it. Uh, and then I and then I had my break, and that was with Big Fish, uh, with you know directed by Susan Stroman, who is the reason she was like the one who basically got me into the show. And and by the way, she's now directing another wonderful musical called New York, New York. Uh, if anybody's in New York City, go see this show. It is a phenomenal production. Um, but you know that was the real beginning of me kind of like getting more involved in the musical theater world and uh and so rob ashford is the the director of peter Pan live brought me in for an audition uh and we immediately hit it off and uh the next thing i knew i'm at callbacks and then i get an offer to be in this wild ass production and it's the thing about it man is that it's it is a full-blown broadway show i mean we rehearsed it like a like a broadway show except for the fact that there's also a live TV crew <laughs> following us around. 
setting up cameras. We're on, you know, a 3D set. You know, it's it's built to be viewed from all angles. Um, I mean, the entire thing was like an acid trip. I mean, and of course, and of course, Christopher freaking Walken is part of this. And, you know, he's really a part of it. Like, I remember being there on the at rehearsal the first day, and there he is in his sweats, you know, like ready for ready for rehearsal, you know, just like the rest of us. Um, and he would be in our, you know, our, our, uh, all of our singing rehearsals with us as well. And he was an absolute character. I mean, exactly, exactly what you'd expect. And, and then also not what you'd expect. Uh, he ended up being a very sweet, um, mostly, mostly friendly guy. Like he, he really loved to tell stories. He loved to make us laugh. Um, he was inappropriate most of the time, but like in funny ways, um, you know, I've got some, I've got some good stories. Um, and this is my, actually one of my favorites. So I'll, I'll tell it real quick. So the, the process is wild. You know, we, we rehearse, we rehearse, and then we get to, uh, it's called Grumman studios, which is this, um, it used to be an old airplane hangar out in long Island. It's now this massive, um, TV and movie studio. And it's just, it's a hangar basically is, is the soundstage gigantic. Right. And this is where they built the set for Peter Pan live, including all of Allison Williams, you know, flying stuff. Cause you know, they had a rigged up to soar around through the air in this place, which was also totally bananas. Um, so we are, uh, we go through the process and it's a lot, you know, we, we have to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. We have to figure out where cameras are going, all this jazz. Uh, and, and getting ready for really just one, one night, like th- that's all it is. And it's really, truly just one night We're perf- we're doing all this work to perform a, a full blown Broadway show that is filmed once, once. So it's the night. And, um, I remember just it being like, at that point we were so used to it. So it didn't feel that nerve wracking, but you know, that something special is happening. The energy is different. And like, you know, we're all like, like ready to go. And so, um, we're, it was, what was the moment we were sitting on the back of the, the lost boys, um, set, right. It was like a hill and inside of this hill was the lost boys, you know, hideout and outside of the hill during the scene, the pirates and captain hook, you know, are waiting for them to like spring a trap. And I'm, I'm in the I'm on the set next to Chris. He and I were sitting right next to each other in, in darkness. And we're waiting for the stage manager to give us the cue. And this we're out there for a while. It's probably about 15 minutes. And we can chat. You know, it's not like we have to be in total silence. So I'm sitting there next to Chris. And we look out on the set. And there's all these, like, you know, wildly looking uh, trees. They're all, like, multiple colors. And, you know, in a very low voice, he leans down to me. And he goes, you know, I think I want to take one of those trees home with me. I like I look up and I'm like, really? Like, well, what would you do with it? <laughs> oh no. Oh, he goes, it goes, he goes, he goes, those trees, those trees are, are super gay. <laughs> I want to take one of them home. <laughs> I, go, I go, okay, well, what, you know, what would you do with it? And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, I'd stick it up my ass. And I started doing this. I start like fucking laughing, like about to fall. Like we're, I'm like dying. I'm like, I'm like laughing tears. 
and the and then the stage manager is like, "All right, like thirty seconds," and I have to like get it together. And Chris is you know getting a kick out of basically having made me almost fall off the set. Um, we have a good chuckle, and then you know, and then it's like action time, and we're back in it. Um, but it was uh, it was one of those moments I'll never forget. No, that is totally walking like he because I because I um, listen to other stories that people who have worked with him say like he would just like that's what he would do. Like he would just say the most outrageous thing <laughs> yeah. and you you wouldn't believe it was true. And it's like, did he really just say that? <laughs> you know? Oh, man. I mean, I got a, I've got a few more that probably aren't, you know, let's just say they're not they're not podcast uh, appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a lot of like locker room humor with that guy. And like, you're right. He would just say like the most insane, outrageous crap just to like get a reaction. And it was, it was always hilarious, you know? And you start thinking like, God, this guy, like you hear the stories about this dude and you, and you wonder is, is this, is it real? And it's like, dude, he's that guy. Like he's like a caricature of himself. You know, it's uh, amazing. And it was, it was actually really neat. He, um, well, I, yeah, yeah. he he gave me a joint at one point, and I kept it. I still have it in my drawer. I I like put it in a plastic bag, and I promise I would, I would never, I wouldn't smoke it until he until he passed away. So, I'm still waiting, Chris. Any day now. No, I'm kidding. Hope you're around forever, bro. Don't ever leave. You're the man. <laughs> Love you, dude. No, it's it's crazy. Like watching Severance and realizing, oh man, he's the dude's eighty, and he's still like yeah. giving performances like that. Holy crap! Mm. And what a great show, man. Yeah, he was. Him and uh, Turturro together, just incredible. Yeah, no, it was um, it was neat to see him like that because, th- you know, wildly enough, you, you ex- you're so used to Chris being kind of this uh, eccentric, kind of wise guy, badass kind of dude. And really, he's actually more like the guy from Severance, like this sort of sweet, kind of goofy, but like genuinely good guy deep down and uh i'm glad we got to see him and uh that sh- that shade of him on the show because that is more i think who he is i mean plus like you can say hey you know i worked with walking and it was just yeah. like a once in a lifetime experience and like not not a lot of actors can say that honestly oh dude yeah no it's true and and, and it's not like i mean that's the thing too is that you know it wasn't like just being on set with him like we were we were building a musical together like it was Every day in rehearsals, you know, dancing and singing and choreograph and, and like the whole shebang, man. It was it was like hanging out with walking on a pretty, pretty serious level. And uh, it's it like, you know, like I said, it's something I'll, I'll always have and I'll never forget. It was a okay. truly uh, amazing experience. Like I had imagined like something like that would just make you want to be like, yeah, I I want to be like, you know, I already I, I know I'm already am an actor, but it's like. Mm. I want to learn everything I, I need to know about this craft because I love it so much. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And and not only that, but like to see, you know, I think what I what I came up away from that experience with was, you know, seeing that like almost like it, I, I got to demystify some things a bit that being good at your craft actually just really amounts to being good in general you know what i mean and i i think that actually was the one of the biggest takeaways for me um and that starting with goodness will bring good things 
uh, as long as you are treating others well and doing your your craft, this the service, giving it the 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 goodness it deserves, uh, other other good things will follow. Uh, and I I actually truly believe that. I think that that is a that is a a standard um, of of the business that I that I recognize now and adhere to. Yeah, absolutely. Because like uh, you know, to to bring it full circle, you know, this industry, man. It's really a lot smaller than you than you know, and yeah, that's true. people talk. So if you, you know, treat people like crap, then you know, yeah. I guarantee you that the person you treat like crap will remember that. That's true. That's true, and they'll they'll remember it longer than you think, man. You know, and that's I think that's part of the whole, you know, the revelation of me too. You know, a lot of a lot of people were treated like crap, and they finally got a chance to like like be heard and that stuff is you know you, you, it's funny how the the crap stuff you remember so much more <laughs> you know like you like sure you remember good people but when you're really when you've really been mistreated that stuff sticks with you even longer and even goes even deeper um and and has negative consequences and i i really think and this is kind of i think maybe also how i'm built which i'm grateful for that being kind and um, being uh, present with people, you know, no matter if they're the PA, the grip, the, the, the assistant stage manager, it doesn't matter who they are. They, are. they are people doing their job and are there to make your job easier or better. Every single person involved re- deserves to be seen, to be heard, and to be treated well. No doubt. Um, and I, I really believe that that is the mark of a of a true professional and uh, and a mark of greatness. Absolutely. Uh, before we wrap this up, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on, and where can people find you online? Oh, sure. So I'm I'm in this I'm in a you know I'm, it, this business is so bizarre in in a, in a great way. I, I you know I love what I do. Um, in, in that it no two days are ever the same. Um, I'm auditioning all the time, uh, and I'm, I'm working, I work fairly often. Uh, most of, you know, my, the li- the livelihood stuff comes from commercial voiceover and I've got, uh, a few commercials running now. I've got Kinder Bueno, which I've been doing for years now. Thank, thank goodness. Um, I have Saya trucking. Um, what else do I have? Oh, I think I've got a couple of things for, uh, Capital One going, and I just booked um, a, a spot for Squarespace. Um, so you know, keep your ears peeled. It'll probably maybe come across something <laughs> in the world. It's it's out there. It's playing. Um, but then in the in the other stuff that you know that that's kind of like the keep the lights on type of work. Uh, and then there's the feed the soul kind of work, and um, a lot of it is, you know, animation is uh not it's not very well it doesn't pay very well so and, and a lot of the jobs some of them, some of them never see the light of day uh because a lot of it's dubbing it's a lot of it's <clears throat> imports from places like Russia or South Korea <clears throat> or even even China um but i have a i have a, a fairly consistent amount of that work uh and i and i'm grateful for that stuff that's that's the stuff i love to do um and so those keep coming in uh, but the the one that i'm excited about 
I can't really go into too much detail, but we did finish it, uh, I guess, about a month or two ago, and it's now getting ready for release. It's the, This is what I can say, and, and I, I think it will kind of represent a, a bit of a shift for me, hopefully, um, as, as a voice actor. Um, it is a one of the big one of a a, a large streaming uh, company is doing audio versions of movies that they own. So that's all I can say. <laughs> I'm in. I play the a main character in one of those, uh, but they have not yet been released, and I don't think they're really even talking about it yet. So. It's pending. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm in the midst of actually rebuilding my website and uh, releasing, you know, putting new demos together and stuff. So I'm, I'm going to be, uh, my marketing will be hopefully in place by then. So I'll be able to like talk about it a little bit easier and uh, I'll, I'll be able to disseminate things when they come out. Um, so you can just kind of keep an eye open. And the way to do that is, uh, you know, you can follow me uh, on Instagram. I have a, I have a handle. It's my name. It's uh, except it's not Ryan Andes. It's Andy's Ryan. There's another guy out there named Ryan Andes who I'm gonna I'm gonna have a talking to. I'm gonna see if I can't wrangle my name back from that guy. Uh, but in the meantime, it's at Andy's Ryan uh, on Instagram. I'm also the same handle uh, on Twitter, which I I really I'll be honest, I'm never on. Um, and and then my website is www.ryanandes.com, and that is actually. My next big project, and I'm almost done with it. It's got a lot of new material and, um, you know, just updated content. And that's where I'll be posting a lot of my uh, updates and new things as they come out. So check me out. And for those that uh, want to see your current work, please check out uh, Cyberverse. It's on YouTube. It's free. It is. Um, yeah. yeah, right on. And uh, yeah. Wulong. So there you go. You're also on that. Oh, right. Wulong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wulong, I... um. I play Guan, Gwen Yu, uh, one of the one of the characters in that, and I do have another video game I think coming out soon, but I I can't say anything about it right now. Uh, so you know, like I said, keep checking in, and uh, once when when things when things do drop, I'll I'll usually blast it out from whatever platform I'm decide to use that day. <laughs> usually it's Instagram, but I'm trying to force myself to be better on Twitter, so we'll see <laughs> keep uh keep i'll keep checking in i'll we'll, we'll see where how i get with that you know all right thank you so much for taking the time off to do this this has been swell and yeah uh, we got to get you back on once more stuff clears dude i know abdullah man i really appreciate you uh you taking the time inviting me on and uh and putting this out there it's it's cool that you do this man and I, i'm i'm grateful for for you and uh and for having had this opportunity with you so truly thank you yeah no thanks thanks so much uh, take care bye-bye yeah bye-bye